This is Bank Australia Podcast On Purpose. Together with our special guests, we take you into thought-provoking discussions on positive change in our community and our planet. Traversing from the arts to the environment, entrepreneurship to human rights, our host, Olga Klepova, meets the trailblazers who put purpose before profit. The city of Sydney and of Melbourne and of Canberra have all divested and and maybe in, a, in an interesting way, most symbolically, more powerfully, the city of Newcastle, the biggest coal port in the world, has divested from fossil fuel and its investments for its pensions. That's a really big deal because it demonstrates that the even the people who make their living off fossil fuel understand that its time is short. This is Bill McKibben, our guest of today's episode. Bill is the founder of the international environmental organization Free50. He's a well-known climate activist and acclaimed author. At the moment, Bill is taking his campaign, Accelerate Climate Action, around Australia. While recording the podcast, he was visiting North Queensland. With the global movement of divestment being the ethos of his campaign, we're going to speak more about the whole idea of divestment and who are the main participants of this movement. I'm Olga Klopova and you're listening to the podcast On Purpose. Bill, you are currently on your national tour around Australia with the campaign called Accelerate Climate Action. Where did I catch you this time? I'm in Cairns. I haven't been in Newcastle yesterday. So yesterday I saw the coal that helps cause the problem that we're experiencing. And today, along the Great Barrier Reef, I'm getting to see some of the effects of all that coal, and gas and oil. Yeah, that's what I wondered. How do, how do these effects of climate change uh, feel in being in Cairns? Well, it's one of the most tragic places on the planet, Olga. I mean, The Great Barrier Reef is probably the largest living structure on Earth, but it's only about half as living as it was 18 months ago. There's really no natural tragedy of quite that magnitude that's happened at quite that speed in the global warming era. I guess if you were looking for a kind of canary in the coal mine, the reef would be it. And just to sort of think about it, about that kind of damage done over that short period of time, That's a pretty stunning thing. And I wanted to know a bit more about why exactly Accelerate, uh, why why you have this word in the name of the campaign, what it's all about. Because we've begun, right, to take the steps that we need to take about climate change, just begun. Um, People are starting to put up solar panels and wind turbines and batteries but we're not doing it at anywhere near the speed we would need in order to catch up with the damage of climate change. We need to be making an all-out effort instead of a half-hearted effort. And so that's our hope is to kind of focus people on the need for speed, on the need for that acceleration. Because otherwise, 50 or 75 years from now, The planet will be running on sun and wind, but it'll be a broken planet that's running on those things. If we want to keep the planet anything like the one that we inherited, we best move with great speed. And is it right for me to say that in your campaign, you mainly focus and you addressing all those um, efforts 
towards the government and corporate world. That's correct. Um, it's obviously important for people to take individual actions in their own life. I mean, my house is covered with solar panels. I drove the first electric Ford in the state of Vermont. I'm, you know, do my best, but I try also not to fool myself into thinking that at this point we can solve the problems that we're up against one person at a time. The, the time is too short, the problem too large. What we need is people engaged in movements to push corporations and governments to take the huge scale policy changes that we know they're capable of and that we know we require. I saw that also in your in some of your articles that you do recognize that individual efforts do matter, but at the same time, it's not as great effect uh, as if we gathered together and uh, pressure governments and corporations to change their practices. And what are these ways to pressure those bodies? Sure, there's been many ways that people have developed over the years, some of which we've used in various places. In the U.S., for instance, There's been large-scale civil disobedience to try and slow down the construction of new fossil fuel pipelines and coal ports and fracking walls. Sometimes this works and we win these fights rather often, in fact, but always it exerts a great price on the fossil fuel industry uh, and, and in so doing delays or makes more difficult their expansion. Probably more important has been the work to try and convince communities and states and national governments to adopt renewable energy at a, a much faster rate. There are now hundreds of cities around the world that have pledged to go 100% renewable. And maybe the most important third arm of this campaign is the one that seeks to cut off the supply of money to the fossil fuel industry. Global warming, the fire of global warming burns on the oxygen of money. And so when we ask institutions to divest from fossil fuel stocks, uh, when we ask individuals to sell those stocks and to invest their money and the money of their institutions in renewable energy, uh, that makes a big difference. This has become the largest campaign of its kind in history. Endowments and portfolios worth about $6 trillion have divested from fossil fuel. Most recently, the city of New York in the United States with its massive pension funds, $200 billion. And, and not only did New York divest from fossil fuel, they announced at the same time that they were suing the big oil companies for the damages that had already been done and were expected to happen in New York as a result of climate change. That too is a, a, a way to put an economic drag on the actions of this most irresponsible of industries. On the website of 350, I also saw that in Australia, there are at the moment 138 institutions of all kinds who already divested. Perhaps there is there is more, we not really know. But I wanted to ask your opinion, um, how big is this number? How significant is 138? It's, it's very significant considering that it includes some really important players. The city of Sydney and of Melbourne and of Canberra have all divested. And, and maybe in, a, in an interesting way, most symbolically, most powerfully, the city of Newcastle, the biggest coal port in the world, has divested from fossil fuel and its investments for its pensions 
that's a really big deal because it demonstrates that the even the people who make their living off fossil fuel understand that its time is short, that its reign is coming to an end. So uh, maybe of all the divestments in Australia, that may have been the one that pleased me the very most. And we see more and more super funds and local councils coming on board with the divestment strategy and policies. But what, who do you see are the biggest players? I mean, who takes the lead and can be a role model in terms of actually showing this divestment and being the vanguard, if you like? Well, there are super funds and things across Australia. And increasingly what's happening, Olga, is that though they often begin from a kind of moral place and understanding that it's wrong to wreck the planet, therefore it's wrong to profit from the wreckage, they often quickly move into also a very strong financial or fiduciary place because those who took the advice of people at 350 and elsewhere and began divesting from fossil fuel five years ago, they've made a lot of money as a result. The fossil fuel industry has underperformed the other sectors of the market. And and that underperformance, one imagines, is likely to continue. I'm no investment advisor, but I've got eyes in my head. And I know that this is a business under siege. Uh, people are inventing new technologies, sun, wind, that don't require us to dig things up and burn them, and that will cause enormous damage to the fossil fuel industry in the time ahead. This is one of the most remarkable disruptions in human economic history. Bill, and in, sometimes in your articles, you draw the analogy between a fossil fuel industry and the tobacco industry, how in some way it was strangled, strangled by the activism, by the public ads. And at the moment, that's somewhat what's happening within the fossil fuel industry. But when you, we talk about the renewable energy, it's not as um, ubiquitous at the moment and not as accessible. They're not plans and policies in place. Uh, so how how to avoid the situation when um, you strangle completely fossil fuels but still haven't built up a renewable energy industry? Yes. Well, that's, of course, the, that's the course the great task. And Australia is, like my country, America, remiss in not having a real plan for making this transition. Remiss because of the environmental damage, also because of the economic threat The countries and societies that do move quickly to to renewable energy are stealing a march on the rest of the world. And so we look at places like Germany or Scandinavia or even now China, which is very, very quickly converting. Now, uh, Australia has some things going for it. It has an immense amount of sun and wind. It has a history in this technology. And now it has access to some of the newest and most exciting technology on the planet. Watching Elon Musk choose South Australia as the site for his first huge utility-scale battery, and then watching the superb performance of that battery once in place is a reminder of how quickly we can change and how much can get done. But at the same time, Elon Musk is a great example of a huge market disruption when other players have the choice either to uh, catch up or completely change the industry. Uh, Where do you think those players will go, rather? I think that the survivors over the long term are clearly going to be people who master this move to decentralized, distributed, renewable energy. Uh, The fossil fuel industry is literally dinosaurs, but like dinosaurs in their 
lumbering death throws, they can do extraordinary damage. They've made it clear that they're willing to wreck the planet in order to keep their business model alive another 5, 10, 15 years. And that's why we must fight so hard to try and move off that very fast. Did you know you could download this and other episodes from our website, bankos.com.au forward slash on purpose. We'd love you to leave your comments and rate the show as it helps us improve and grow our on purpose community. We've had to go from a kind of focus on education. We continue to do that, but time is running out on climate change. So we've also done some confrontation, uh, tried to help shut down new oil pipelines, new coal mines like the Adani mine. Change is happening, undeniably, in many, many aspects of our lives, including activism. So in the second part of this podcast, Bill and I are going to discuss how the activism has changed. This year, um, 2018, is the 10th anniversary for 350. So in 2008, you built up from scratch uh, this organization. Have you ever thought that the organization is going to grow to an international level and become one of the most vocal, one of the most uh, credible source of, in terms of environmental uh, activities and actions? We knew we wanted to work globally, Olga. That's one of the reasons we called ourselves 350.org. It's the most important number in the world, the the amount of carbon measured in parts per million that scientists say we could safely have in the atmosphere, 350 parts per million, a number we're way past. But really the reason we chose it was we wanted to work globally and we figured numbers would work better than words in skipping across the linguistic boundaries that mark the planet. So we began with a very international focus and indeed our first day of action nine years ago had... 5,200 demonstrations in 181 countries. CNN called it the most widespread day of political action in the planet's history. But at that point, when we started 350, it was just myself and seven college students. So there was no particular reason to think that we would grow the way that we have. I, I, I fear that some of that comes just from the fact that there was no one else sort of trying to do this work in the same way. And we wish always for more and more and more people in this field. Do you agree that activism, even within those, for example, 10 years of uh, 350, has changed immensely? So say, for example, was it three years ago when you were arrested for a one-man demonstration somewhere in Vermont? Yes. We've had to go from a kind of focus on education. We continue to do that. But time is running out on climate change. So we've also done some confrontation, uh, tried to help shut down new oil pipelines, new coal mines like the Adani mine and uh, proposed for uh, Australia, uh, drilling for oil in the Arctic. These are all places where we've been quite confrontational in trying to slow the destruction of the planet. And, And we've won a fair number of those fights. And I think we'll win some more. I don't think the Adani mine's ever going to get built, not because of 350, but because there's such spirited opposition on the ground from the original owners, from people all across Australia, and obviously from the world's banks, 
who have refused to lend any money for the boondoggle that it is. Well, I, I cannot um, avoid mentioning that Bank Australia, for example, is the bank that does not lend money to any of the fo- fossil fuel industry players. But Yes, and that's, that's, I don't want to let that go by without saying how important that is. Money really is the oxygen that the fire of global warming burns on. And it's very important to starve it of that oxygen. But going back um, to the question of activism, I thought it, it's always been a political tool, but nowadays it changed as well the image of what sort of tool it is. In terms of you as an organization can endorse a political movement, and since the organization has so many members and supporters globally, this political figure will get more and more votes. Um, how do you see this change? Is there a bit of contradiction in there? Well, we tend not to be involved very much in electoral politics, a little bit in the United States where the tax laws allow us to do a little of it. But mostly our focus is on activism in the streets, on pushing institutions from the outside. We think that it's important to elect good people, but we think that history shows that even then one needs to push them hard in order to get done what needs doing. That's what we'll continue to do. That's our particular strength. Bill, and you being such a professional within the industry of climate change and sustainable living, but even you needed some peace of mind when you went to Alaska last year. Um, That's right. And the headline of the article was, I went all the way to the Alaskan wilderness to escape Donald Trump, but you don't have to. <laughs> I love the headline, but could you tell me a bit more about that trip and what what you saw or rediscovered in Alaska? Um, you know, first to Mr. Trump, one of the things that's unusual about him, I mean, there's many things that are unusual about him, including the fact that he doesn't know anything about anything, apparently. But one of the things that's unusual about him is he constantly is rattling the bars of everyone's cage to get them to pay attention to him. Uh, you could forget about former presidents for a week at a time, you know, two weeks at a time. Uh, Donald Trump reminds you with a tweet or some thing he says every 30 seconds that he's an important guy who has the fate of the world in many ways in his hands. Um, I found my brain was getting a little worn out from all of that. So I jumped at the chance to go for a trip to the Brooks Range of interior Alaska, maybe the most remote spot uh, on the American continent. It was wonderful to be there, surrounded by grizzly and big mountains and, you know, wild rivers. And it was also wonderful to just have my head to myself for a week or 10 days, uh, uh, especially for Americans right now. I, I highly recommend it. Well, and I had something for dessert of this podcast, uh, the Freeze Fossil Fuels campaign, the online campaign that is between 350 and uh, Ben & Jerry. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Ben & Jerry is always, they don't really sponsor it, but they've always been friends of ours because we both started in Vermont, uh, where I live. Um, and the, the Fossil Freeze campaign is all about trying to make sure that we move quickly to renewable energy, state, local levels, government, and that we keep in the ground that carbon that is there currently. We know from the scientists that we can't burn most, almost all of the coal and gas and oil that we know about 
because if we do, we'll go way past the two degree temperature mark that we set in Paris as our target. And so these big campaigns are designed to make, to allow people to be empowered to make these changes in their communities. And, and so far, we've had some progress. Not enough to stop global warming, though. The temperature of the planet is still going up, which is why we very much need everyone involved in this fight. And this, this campaign is also global, isn't it? Absolutely. We tend to do everything all over the world at once. They don't call it global warming for nothing. Um, and, and our commitment is always that people everywhere should feel that they're a part of the solution, just as they've been to varying degrees uh, a part of the problem. Thank you very much, Bill, for finding time. I know you have a very busy schedule because ahead of you is the whole national trip around Australia and hope it will be a success. Olga, thank you very much. I've enjoyed the chance to talk to you. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Remember, you can join in on social media by tagging us at Bankost or by leaving a comment under the track. Make sure you subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes. I'm Ben from Bank Australia. And until next time, goodbye from us.